in my way. Why, oh why? Always asking why. Needs to know what's going on. Under pressure, proving his existence, losing confidence, filling holes with anything but consciousness about himself. Greed is taking over for spectacular events. Information for the mind is disturbing to the body. Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, where our hearts are our masters. Your hosts are Nancy L. Hopkins and Walt Silva. Producing the show is Colleen Kelly. The theme song is called Disturbance and is written and performed by Renate Jet and Jet Music. You are listening to Wolf Spirit Radio at wolfspiritradio.com. Hi, everybody. We are live with Nancy Hopkins and Walt Silva. Hello, Colleen. How are we doing tonight? Hi, Walt. Hello, everyone. How are you? I'm doing good. Is this really the last day of June? Unfortunately. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what? What's Where that? I mean, I, okay, for years I've been saying time goes fa- faster, but this was kind of ridiculous. I mean, seriously, think back. Was it? <laughs> I know. Wasn't it May just a few hours ago? <laughs> it does seem that way. <laughs> Hello, audience. It's uh, June 30th. 2015, and we are at the last day of June, um, which means that July is upon us, and I think July is going to be special. I've been saying that since springtime. I don't know what, what's happening, but based on um, what's been happening, it's going to be a wild trip. Um, we, we really don't know what we're going to talk about, except that I do want to talk about Namaste. Am I pronouncing that right? I don't think I've ever said it before out loud. Well, they always pronounce it uh, namaste. Namaste. Like, like it ends in, like, imagine the letter ends in A-Y, so they always say namaste. Namaste. Okay, what happened was that when I was watching Facebook one day, somebody ended their post with namaste. 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 Uh-huh. And... I had to look it up. I, I, I was drawn to the word, and uh, I looked it up, and uh, after I read, the, I, well, before I could even get through the definition, I just had such a resounding feeling that it was a power word, and I sort of like intuitively felt felt its energy. And so every occasion that I see where it applies, I use it. Um, those people that have read Cosmic Reality know that in the book I talk about the fact that one day somebody was walking out of the office and I said, well, be safe. And I thought, oh, my God, that sounds stupid. Who's not going to be safe? Who goes out and is careless, you know? Um, I said, there's got to be a better phrase for that. And be safe uh, came to mind. So I stopped using be careful and I started using be safe. And at first it was like people look at me a little odd, but it didn't take much more than a few times of me saying it to somebody that when they left, they said, be safe. Well, gradually, well, actually not gradually at all, rather quickly, um, I started hearing the word be, the words be safe instead of be careful. And to be honest with you, I have not heard anybody say be careful in an awful long time. 
And that is one of the indicators to me of the power of one human being to affect the superconsciousness of humanity. That place where every single thought that every single person has ever had ends up. Like a supercomputer that it's like NSA. <laughs> it's sitting there recording, recording everything that, uh, that we, we think is, is sitting there. So yesterday, um, Richard Baron Thomas called, uh, sent me a, a, a link to a video on uh, Namaste, and it really is the, 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 the best explanation for what it is. It's a six-minute video. If you go to, um, oh, shoot, I forgot to choose the link again. Go to CosmicReality.net and Cosmic Reality um, blog under the Cosmic Reality tab. And the first blog is for June 30th, and you'll find this. But I'm going to read it to you because I think it's so important. I really want to have another record. I want to have a record on our site because I also know that the power of, of words. And when you say something, you imprint the cosmic NSA. <laughs> Let's just call it the cosmic NSA. I like that. And when you do that, Everybody that's linked to it has access to that information. That's how we can, we have been able to um, free ourselves in many, many ways. There's, we're no longer slaves. Uh, you may still be working the same job, but you, you, we're not slaves anymore because we really understand how to be free. And one of the ways to promote that freedom is to promote our empowerment of our own selves. And as we begin to empower ourselves by claiming dominion over ourselves, we also have to acknowledge the other people that are out there. Because if we cannot understand the true essence of everyone when they work together, when they come together, when they see the, the unified energies that draw us together as individuals, we're not losing our identity. And believe me, that worried me when, when I first started to delve into this whole concept of this unification thing. I didn't want to lose my own identity as Nancy L. Hopkins. I like me. I don't want to lose me in some group. I've never been a group kind of person. And so it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, like a, 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 a slim rope that we're walking here, but I think if we understand what this one word can give us, and if we start using this one word as a power source, because I told you that I also believe that Gaia is a power word. And look at when I first wrote Cosmic Reality, I had to look up this definition. And now, I mean, you hear it all the time. So these words are, are power. They move. And I'm not saying that I created the word Gaia like I really want to take credit for be safe. It's because Gaia was already in the superconsciousness and was feeding down. And that's why I picked up on it. So hopefully if we all start to understand Namaste and we start to use it, we are going to just be empowering ourselves as a group and as individuals. So um, like I said, it's a video. There is no dialogue. It's all written word. And so I went and I uh, copied down all the written words. I love it when they got it right there on the, <laughs> the film. You just have to copy it instead of try to figure out what was said. So um, I'm just going to go through it. It's going to take me a couple minutes, but just try to focus in on here because if we really understand, if we really get it, we really start using it, I think it's probably a really powerful way of getting to the next level. 
the word itself means I bow to the divine in you. Namaste is the divine spark in one person recognizing the divine spark in another. The life in me sees and honors the life in you. This is an especially deep expression of respect. Namaste recognizes the duality that exists in this world and suggests an effort to bring these two aspects back together. This will ultimately lead towards unity. It recognizes the equality of all and pays honor to the sacredness of all. The whole action of Namaste unfolds itself into four levels. Spiritual, physical, mental, verbal. I honor the place in you where spirit lives. The spirit in me meets the same spirit in you. I greet that place where you and I, we, are one. I honor the place in you which is of love. I salute the place in you which is of truth. May the life within you be strong. I receive the place in you which is of light. Within each of us is a place where peace dwells. I recognize the place in which you find your peace. I recognize that we are all equal. I acknowledge that everyone is valuable in their own way and capable of expanding my horizons. When you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, then we are one. We are able to recognize the goodness of others. We can perceive the unique thread that connects us all within the universe and all its beings as well as to the source of that interconnection. We are receptive to knowledge that comes to us in the form of example, advice, and direct teaching. When we assume that everyone we meet is special and unique, we awake to the wisdom that opens our eyes to the new worlds of possibility. We should show all people the same generous level of understanding, kindness, care, compassion, without any thought of self-interest beyond paying respect wholeheartedly. The way we live our daily lives has an enormous impact on those around us. Instead of clinging to what separates us, practicing namaste enables us to feel less alone in the world. We begin to understand that we must treat all people for what they are, family. As we gain consciousness of the more subtle aspects of our being, we reweave ourselves with a light body. We are one with all that is, whether we realize it or not. May all beings find and hold happiness. May they all be free from suffering and sickness. May we look and see all others reflecting back. There is only one earth. May we all be one, one family, one. Namaste. And this comes from um, Humanity Healing, which is humanityhealing.org. Um, so, uh, what, what are you doing? Oh, yes, okay. Uh, she's talking to me. Colleen's talking to me while I'm uh, reading. Um, yes, Colleen, we're going we're gonna to have to do that. Um, what, what, el what else happened was... Um, 
Well, when I, when I get, went on today, I'm saying, Guy, what do you want to talk about tonight? I mean, because last week we weren't on because I was on another show. And by the way, Walt, everybody missed you, <laughs> 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 including me. I told you that right after the show. Um, and uh, we had a lot of things to talk about, but um, we never did it. And then I, I was, I was going to go back and look at that, but no. This particular uh, namaste came up, and I said, oh, okay, cool, we'll at least do that one. Then the synchronicity kicked in, and right after that, the next thing I saw was this um, article. And it's an article about these people that went out, and what they, what they would do is that they would they put, out, they put out a table, and there were two chairs at this little table, they also had another way of doing it, which was two hula hoops on the ground. And they just set up in the middle of a, of a, a city street there on the sidewalk. I guess it was more like a, like where you, you know, yeah, I guess it was about a city street. I'm trying to think what, the, what I was looking at because I was so into the people. And what they were doing was they were asking strangers to sit down or stand and stare in the eyes of another stranger for a minute. I can't tell you how profound that was. I mean, I started crying immediately because it was like watching these people. They said that they had um, others of their group that were in the, the, you know, in the peripheral in case nobody would do it so that they could start to come in and start to demonstrate what they were trying to do and that they didn't have to do this. That immediately all of these different strangers just came up and started staring at each other and most of the time well I don't know most of the time because they didn't show most of the time but they were there was so much emotion this one guy he was a rough old black man you know I mean just kind of like a just had this scowl on his face and he's staring and he's staring and he's staring and all of a sudden something happened to him and his entire face changed got so soft and I swear, I think he was, was starting to cry. Uh, there was a lot of tears that were brought up. Why? Because they broke the barrier of fear and actually stared into the eyes of a stranger. To me, that's, this was... A, there's something else. There's, there's also something... That's what you're saying is precisely the point, but there's something else. Uh, do you think it's a coincidence, in quotation marks, that in environments where... Uh, like the old school systems and religious environments, you are, it's, it is expected and demanded of you as a sign of obedience, eyes down. You know, you never look at, into the eyes or the face of the, your superior. Do you think it's a coincidence? Because the, the instant that your eyes lock into the eyes of your superior, guess what? You're both equal. There's no more superiority. There's no more power over. Because now you've just become one with that person. That's why they demand eyes down. <laughs> wow, that that's profound. I'd never never even considered that. Yeah, like in, like in school, you're you're trying to lecture or discipline the child. Of course, I'm not talking about the present. I'm talking about. I mean, I grew up in the '60s, and heavens to Betsy, I've seen enough teachers hit students with rulers and other things, sticks. And but if a child looks into your face, even if he's not defying you or making faces or anything, just looking, uh, you're stuck. You can't raise a hand against that child. You've just become one. <laughs> wow. Because your, your, your optic 
did I, did you ever do that experiment I, I described to you with your eyes and your fingers that you can actually feel the optic ray that comes out of your eyes? No. You, yeah, like you don't. Since we're not using Skype video, you know, you can turn sideways and look at the at the wall, for example. Just relax your eyes and don't focus on anything. Just like you're looking out into the distance, and then splay the fingers of either hand and put the hand in front of you so that your splayed fingers and you move them up and down in front of your eyes without looking at the fingers. Just look into the distance, you know, relax your eyes. And as your fingers go up and down in front of your face, you can feel in your fingers the sensation of your optic ray. We have a visual ray that comes out of the eyes. Very powerful. I'm not so much feeling it as I was seeing it. <laughs> That's interesting. So now you take two living beings and you have the rays connecting well. What do you think is going to happen? That 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 dissolution of the illusion for uh, for as many minutes as it lasts, you're tearing down the illusion of separation. I mean, isn't that something to cry about? Or yes, 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 yes. And, <laughs> and but what, what I was profoundly looking at was they're doing this with strangers. How many of us ever ever do that with the people that we live with, our friends, our family, our workers? Um, I can't remember who it was, Walt, that was talking about um, people who won't look at people or you don't want to look at them because they get unnerved, they look away. Yeah. I don't remember who was having that conversation. But um, it's very, very true that when you go into a public place, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't look at people because I knew that I made people feel uncomfortable. And then... Um, I had this metamorphosis, and I'm going like, well, so what if I make them feel uncomfortable? I may, might make some of them feel better. And hey, I'm not, a, I'm not an easy chair. Deal with it. Right. <laughs> and, and what I found was that in, you know, probably 70% of the time, people were looking away. But... I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I got so good at it that I really would, you know, they, they'd look away, then they'd look back at you, and I'd still be staring at them. And they'd look away, and they'd look back, and I'd still be staring at them. And then finally, they'd have to, you know, kind of acknowledge the fact that I was staring at them. And I'd smile. And so I'd smiled at a stranger, so two people got a jolt of happiness, you know. And gradually, I found, and, and this is over time, I mean, I'm talking about like the last year, I find that more and more people are willing to communicate that way. Um, I, I think that, that that is an indicator of the change that is really happening. Uh, it, 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 we're, as, a, as humanity, as a family, we're, we're coming together on so many levels, in so many heartfelt ways, and this little technique of just staring in somebody's eyes for a minute I, you know, if I had a, a family, I'd take every one of my kids and I would I would sit them down you know, at least once a week and just stare into their eyes. Yeah, you but know? That's, that's it's happening because now more and more it's becoming common knowledge that you should be comfortable with your feeling sense, with your feelings, with your emotions. Whereas you you grew up in the '60s as well, and you remember how 
we weren't, uh, you know, showing showing emotion was frowned upon in schools. You were supposed to be, you know, well-behaved and self-control and all. I mean, you were supposed to be the ideal Mr. Spock. So if you're not comfortable with your feelings and your emotions, and that's the first thing that gets turned on when you engage eyes with somebody, uh, then you're not going to like it. You're not going to like it because this this engaging of the eyes is turning on something in me that I'm not supposed to look at. I'm not supposed to look at my feelings. I'm not supposed to look at my feeling sense. I'm not supposed to... Uh, and this is uh, legendary. In fact, there's a perfect example of it for those people uh, that may have watched and enjoy uh, the movie Footloose with Kevin Bacon. There's a great little scene between uh, John Lithgow, who's a preacher, and he's the father of the girl, Laurie Singer, who's, you know, th that's the love interest in the film of Kevin Bacon. Uh, and his wife, uh, the role is played by uh, the actress Diane Weist. And she, they had a, an interesting dialogue. It's late at night and they're about to go to bed. And here the, in, uh, they're discussing this thing where, you know, the people are kind of going ballistic with all his preaching and everything. Like, for example, one time, one of the members of the congregation decided to go to the school library and start burning books, you know, because these books suggest, you know, things that are not good for us, like dancing and music and all of that, and he got angry with them because they were really taking things overboard. But at one point in the film, you know, because that was the issue in the, in the movie that, you know, these young people, they go dancing and they go crazy and they do all kinds of things that is not good for them. And she said to him, she says, young people don't need music to feel sexually aroused. She says, don't you remember when we just married? We would get aroused just looking into each other's eyes. <laughs> Why and not? It is the most intimate connection with another living being. <laughs> and when you're in love, that's what you do. But then, <laughs> I mean, you can tell when, when a couple are having trouble because they're not looking at each other in the face. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, anyway, I wanted to share that because, um, I think it's important in and of itself, but also because of the, um, and to be honest, I don't even remember what we talked about in the last show, it was two weeks ago. <laughs> I don't know how much of this we actually covered. I think we mentioned it, but I don't think we got into a real discussion of it. <clears throat> um, Walt's told this story before, um, but I want him to tell it again, how he ended up on um, what turned out to be Mars in a hijacked shamanic trip. Can you, you remember what I'm talking about? I don't, I don't know, because I've been on two trips there. So I don't well, know I'm talking about the first one, where you ended up with the uh, the pyramid. Oh, yeah. the That was, uh, it was interesting, I guess it, it was good confirmation for me later on because when that happened to me that particular shamanic journey I had heard nothing of the information I wasn't even I didn't even knew their names of these two gentlemen uh, Randy Kramer and uh, Simon Parks so I knew nothing of Mars uh, other than obviously there must be since they keep so many secrets from us I'm sure whatever's going on in Mars nobody knows so I had no expectations or nothing. I just knew that I was in a place that it, it wasn't Earth. And when I asked, that was the information that came back. And in that 
the the landscape looked to be like in twilight, like uh, the sun was about to come up, so everything was like grayscale, black and white, and I was aware of s- some presence behind me, several, in fact, and that's when I heard that whispering, sibilant type uh, chatter that I experienced that night that, uh, remember that when, when I described a dream that had to do with the dream cities, and it, I Later on, hearing Simon Park's descriptions, that's the way that, uh, that's the sound that reptilians make. So in that, in that journey, I wasn't particularly afraid, but I knew that they were coming at me to find out what I was doing there, and that's when I changed my size, because you're in a shamanic journey, you're not bound by the limits of the physical body, so you can change your scale, and when I did that, they backed off. And that's the, when I saw, you know, why am I here? What is, and that's when I got that information that, uh, Mars was seeing how Earth was being restored and repaired and it was being, and it was being recovered. And so it, Mars wanted the same thing. It wanted to be repaired. It, it was not a dead planet. It is still alive, you know, very wounded and damaged, but still a living entity like the Earth is a living entity. And that's when I saw that uh, that the trahedron come down and it started working on doing that repair, but it was not a standard tetrahedron, it was more pointy. So uh, uh, that's when I, in order to find out what was the mathematical proportion, the key to it came to me from the uh, seal of the Syrian council. If you, I, I think I may, I showed you uh, I sent you the, I put the picture on, on Facebook where it looks like a triangle that's divided into three sectors and each sector has a spiral. So when I looked at that, I, I, I realized that it's a top view of a tetrahedron. It looks exactly like that. It's a triangle divided into three sectors and each sector had a spiral, a phi spiral. So then I realized that each face of the tetrahedron I'd seen had that phi proportion. So if you take the the top edge undivided by the bottom edge of the triangle, you get the value of phi 1.618. So that's when I realized that that's, it must, it's, um, as far as I can describe it, it must be like a life pyramid. It's capable of, of projecting anything and everything that has to do with life, formation of life, sustaining of life. And that's, uh, I don't know what other, what is, what are the details you wanted to discuss about that because there's been, a, there's been a ton of change but with the cubes and everything else right right <clears throat> well when you put that up now was it projecting energy into Mars or was it one of the pyramids where negative energy was being pulled out of Mars uh, it was doing both it was pulling stuff uh, I was sucking in uh, the like battery like the radiation and things that were uh, noxious to the planet and transmuting it so that it would be it would it would be made into positive stuff that the planet needed, because according to after you know months later that we've been listening to these recordings by uh, Parks and Kramer, they describe that uh, there are huge areas that are still you know energy-wise they're not safe to visit because of the intense energy signature from whatever destroyed the planet so long ago. So that has to be 
removed. That has to be transmuted. And, and Shanghai is just the thing to do it because uh, if you ever read the writings by um, uh, this man, Walter Campbell, where he goes in to describe the essence of radiation, because he spoke openly against, you know, atomic energy and the use of radioactive materials. Uh, he explained in his book that there is a reason why it's uh, uranium and elements of that nature are so deeply buried in the earth, because that's where they should remain. Uh, he said that uh, the essence, the nature of radiation is death energy. It is the winding down of the spiral of life. So it is literally death energy. That's why everything that gets... Uh, I know that uh, science fiction is very fanciful, and due to the effects of radiation, you have all these marvelous mutations, and you get superheroes, but that's not the case. It is literally death energy, and that's why you may have seen that the survival rate of cancer patients that take radioactive therapy is not that big. <laughs> so... Uh, the Shanghai doing what it does that transmutes the spin of things is the only m mineral that can tackle radioactive contamination and radioactive poisoning because it'll take that energy and change the spin. So it's no longer, you know, death energy but life energy. That combined with the sacred geometry and, uh, and that pyramid, it's, it's there, it's repairing the Martian environment. Okay, so um, Walt had told me this story about uh, Mars, <clears throat> and then um, we also he also had developed what we call the eye, and I've discussed this before. It's um, a sphere that has a bottom part is shungite uh, with a gel in resin, which causes it to be very black. There's a magnet, and then on top there's another layer to make the entire sphere that does not have the gel, so it's much clearer. It, you can see through it. It doesn't and have any shangrit. It's a perfect, it's a, it's a lens. It's, it's what it is. So the top is a lens, and the bottom is shungrit. Oh, so you didn't put any shung. I thought I thought you had shungrit in the top, too. No, no, no it's, it's a pure lens. It's just ah. clear. Ah. Mm -hmm. So he sends it to me, and I haven't the, a clue as to what to do with it, except that it's wanting to be over the water. Um, and I have a 55-gallon fish tank, so I stuck it on top of the fish tank. And still didn't have, was getting no understanding of what this thing was, except that I felt like it was not complete. And this has happened to us before, where... Walt makes a device, sends it to me, and I'm going like, what is this? Then he makes something else, and when I get it, I realize, oh, they belong together. And that's how they work. So he was working on a uh, device for the smart meter, and as he's talking about it, I'm going like, I don't think that's for the smart meter at all. I think it's for this eye. And when he got it here, I did put it on the smart meter, but um, by then we had the smart uh, sticker, which was as was more effective than than the device and when i brought it back in and the eye is like yes come on give it to me give it to me you know, all right okay so that was a triangle that's made with um, multiple magnets and very complicated and in and of itself an amazing device but i put the two together and 
nothing happened. <laughs> and I'm going like, okay, well, I don't know what, what, you know, I could feel it, I could feel it, it didn't even click. Normally when you put two things together, belong together, they actually, you feel and almost hear an audible click. The energies just adjust to each other, but no, none of that. So then my friend Cindy comes over, and I'm showing her, and now I've got it off the fish tank. She's got the two pieces, and she's playing, you know, putting them together, checking them out. And then she put them together and set them on the table beside her. And about 20 minutes later, she kind of looked that way, and she went, wow, look at that thing. And when I looked at it, yes, you have to second sight it or see it in the etheric, but there was a, definitely a beam coming off of the eye now. And um, she said, I think it's some kind of a communication device. And I went, hmm. And so I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going like, okay, what what is this all about? But we didn't get any farther in it that night. So then, um, then Walt gives me a secret word. <laughs> I'm not going to explain that. That caused me to um, be able to kind of like open up an area of my brain that became receptive to a, another signal, another communication. Because, I mean, anybody that's listened to me long enough knows that I can feel different communications as they come into my head. It's almost like a, a tuner that I can, can visually almost see because I can see my head, but I can feel where these energies are coming into, into my head. And I, by now I know basically where the source is. And so now I've got this question in my head about what is this communication device i've asked the universe and as we know if we ask the right questions we get the right answers and all of a sudden i get this message in my head that says um and it's from a totally different area and it's and it said um it's a it's a beacon it's a beacon and i'm like well, who who's talking to me and i get is the the i got an image it was a, a an image of a face that was very beautiful but feathered like a bird like a bird like a humanoid bird thing and very beautiful and i mean i sort of like got transfixed into this 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 space it was so amazing and it's it, what, it, what this person was telling me was that they uh and he, i saw the sphere their their vehicle a great big huge sphere and he's inside or she's inside of it it's hard to tell <clears throat> if it's a he or she and the energy says to me we need to have a beacon to get to you. And I'm going like, why would they, what? They come from someplace nobody knows where. Why would they need a big, big ship? Why would they need a beacon to find us? And I'm not sure, Walt, if that was when you had the dream about that time. I think you had it before I actually realized what it was all about. Um, but tell them about, tell them about the dream and the, uh, you remember that one? <clears throat> which, which one? I think it was a dream. It might have been a journey, but um, oh, when, oh, when I saw you in front of the alien, yes. Oh yeah, that was a that was in a shamanic journey, and it was like a, I guess like a hijacked type of situation because I didn't know where I was going or what I was going to see, but I was standing and you were um, in the space in front of me. You must have been like thirty feet away, and I noticed that beyond that there was like an edge. And it was like the moon coming up, and I'm thinking, oh, it's the moon coming up, and I, and then I realized, no, that's not the moon, that's that's a construct, that's an actual ship. And then I figured approach you from your left, and you turned to see, and this uh, the the figure was male, but he was so tall. I mean, your eyes were like level with his waistline, <laughs> and and he extended his left hand, and he had something on the on the left hand. I don't know if it was, you know, the that 
I and triangle thing, but you were looking at that. And before I could make out what the whole exchange was about, I got pulled away. So all I it was just that glimpse, and that was it. So whatever it was, I guess I wasn't supposed to hear the exchange. Well, <coughs> or it just was a message to tell you know because we do get these confirmation messages. Um, he did. I don't. I don't. I don't. He by then you probably knew about the blue avians, but I don't know if you knew that I was had had the message. But what what came about was that right after that, um, something I read, I don't know, they were talking about the fold of of space and time. That because when you're building a new reality, you're taking what's there. It's like a sandbox. And you're taking a little sand from here and a little sand from here, and you're, you're building yourself a new reality. Well, actually, you create a, a pocket. It's like a, a fold in time-space uh, continuum. And because... Reality is what we think it is. There are so many people out there that are, every time you make a decision, you actually, now people talk in terms of timelines. I'm not going to argue timeline over reality, but I think it's, I think it's more of a reality than a timeline because what happens is that when you make a decision, in front of you, you get technical, or typically the people say a new timeline. And what happens is that if you don't put your focus on that timeline, it eventually doesn't have the energy to continue, so it just fizzles out. But I think if you think in terms of reality that we're so powerful that every time we think like that, we're actually starting to create a new reality, then you're folding time and space all all over the place. So somebody of the magnitude of the blue avians, avians that are coming into this environment they can find the solar system, they can find the 3D, but then there's all these pockets of realities. So it made crystal clear sense after I understood, but I didn't have that, I didn't have Walt's description to me, and I didn't have this other piece of information about the folding of time, to understand why they would need a beacon. They have to get to this fold in this time frame in order to be in the right one, because you guys, we know we're in the right one. We're not, we're not messing around here. We're not right. Um, well, there, we're in the one where we don't have to deal with that that bullshit of uh, evil versus good anymore. Let's just go and you know get over that and get some serious about do some serious stuff. Because otherwise, it's just a permanent distraction. That good versus evil thing. It's a never. It's a it's a never ending distraction. Precisely. Let's get on with life, with living, with experiencing, instead of this terribleness. Ooh. But anyway, so um, so what happened was that, um, and I asked the guy a, a half a dozen, maybe more times, are these the good guys, these blue wave? Yes, 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 yes. So I started to, um, I'm going to say, be enamored of the fact that these massive, beautiful beings were coming to save us. And I took my eye off the football. <laughs> and so I kept saying Gaia wasn't talking to me, but I really didn't understand why Gaia wasn't talking to me. She'd answer questions, but she wasn't talking to me. And so one, the only thing she would say to me was, um, you need to learn something. <laughs> so that, while I was, and that, that sent us off on, on, it started with Simon Parks, and then it went to Randy Kramer, and then I, went over and, uh, well, David Wilcox became involved in this, and then I went and I listened to all, everything that had been said about um, Captain Richards. I can't remember his first name. Hey, Mark, Mark Richards. And um, they're all talking about this universe that 
for all practical purposes, is Star Trek. Roddenberry was read into the secret space program. Um, even Lucas uh, has been read into it, Star Wars. So you have these people that understand that there is two civilizations. That's why the breakaway civilization became a popular topic uh, or popular statement for this group of uh, secret space. Now, when I wrote about it in, in Cosmic Reality, I didn't know that much about it. I knew it was there, but I didn't know that much about it because this was back when the research had been done um, prior to 2013. So more like 2012. So a lot of the uh, this information has come out since then, the details, as it were. So in Cosmic Reality, I talk about the fact it exists, but to be honest, I kind of thought it was, you know, uh, a few UFO or a few flying saucer capabilities flying around, and maybe they got into Mars, but I had no concept of the incredible civilization that we have been kept from knowing. Star Trek. Everything you know about Star Trek is out there. Now, the other weird thing that was happening at the same time is that I said to Walt and the rest of you guys, I said, okay, we've got a reality structure. We've got the structure in. We've got all this good stuff. It looks solid. It's a really good structure. But what are we going to fill it with? Well, unbeknownst to me, we all we have to do is tell a few secrets, and it's going to fill itself in with Star Trek, the Star Trek universe. It's there. A place where free energy is free energy. A place where you are entitled. Yes, entitled. Yes, you're supposed to get it. Your food, your shelter, your the teachings, a way of being um, productive for yourself and for, for humanity. All of the good things that you see in Star Trek, um, that's what this world is. It's got technology that is Star Trek. And the replicator, the replicator in the, the Star Trek world runs on hemp oil. Now, how, how, how crazy is that? Because in cosmic reality, I said, you know, hemp is a little plant that can change everything. Well, not only that, but it's the best thing that they have to use in, in uh, replicators where you can go up and say, I want a hamburger. You need something organic to be able to create it out of, and hemp oil is the best. So, well, this, that, this, is, this is coming from Wilcox saying this? Oh, this is coming from Wilcox, Kramer, Richards, um, everybody that is anybody that's talking about it now, even Simon Parks. This is, oh, you mean the, the fact that oil is being used? Uh-huh. That's, I think that's uh, Mark Richards. Oh, uh, the replicas have been talked about, but he—I think it was his, his um, explanation of it that um, was talking about. Yeah, and they found that hemp oil works the best. Um, so you, you all, all of a sudden now, the reality that we're creating is merging with this this Star Trek world, and the only thing that's required is what I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm going like, okay, what's in, how do you how do you get it together? Well, for one thing, you can um, create a movie called Tomorrowland, <laughs> right, right? Because yeah. here we are, we're, there's me and Walt and Colleen and a few other people out here telling you this this crazy story about creating a new reality and all this, and 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 then Walt Walt Disney, the company, decides to put out Tomorrowland at exactly the time that it is going to be so meaningful for us. Now, I, don't, I haven't seen it. Um, Walt, you've seen it. Can you give a brief 
explanation why I'm saying what I'm saying so that our people understand? Well, the uh, <clears throat> the very night that I came back home from seeing it, I think I sent you an email and I said, this movie is not self-disclosure. I think it's semi-hard <laughs> because there are so, for anybody who's anybody out there that has been labeled a conspiracy theorist and has been reading you know, hidden knowledge and hidden books and studying the subject since the 80s or the 90s uh, would immediately pick up on all the things that are being disclosed in this film. Uh, most significant is this, this kind of, you know, everybody looks at NASA as being the answer to get humanity to the stars and NASA is just one big gigantic waste of money because here, there, people have to pay for their medical insurance, and considering the millions that a single launch costs, everybody in America could have free medical insurance. But you know, that's besides the point. Uh, the point, the, one of the things that this, this movie is showing you is that even then, back in the 60s, the technology already existed to put you know man uh, either in space or in other uh, dimensions of the Earth. The movie discloses how uh, Tesla and Edison and other uh, people very advanced for their time were aware of these things, and they had developed the technology to get there. Uh, for people that have heard the lectures by Andrew Basiago uh, and have heard of this uh, thing called the jump room, that you go into this room, and when you come out of the room, you're somewhere else, you're in Mars or wherever they're transporting you. That gets shown in the film. <laughs> That's how these people would go to this other uh, dimension of Earth, a dimension where the planet is perfectly clean, hasn't been touched by humans, hasn't been contaminated with any chemistry or anything. And so ever since the 60s, they had this idealistic, you know, they were going to build a utopia. But at the same time, you you have to note this, at the same time, it was very elitist, elitist because uh, only certain people were qualified to go. It wasn't open for everyone. You had to meet certain conditions, you know, intellectual, you know, were you a dreamer? Are you the, you know, the inventor type, the dreamer type who could conceive of a better thing? Like, for example, the, the main character, the little boy, He's 12, 13 years old, and he built a working jetpack. You could put it on your back, and you could you know, take off with it. Uh, mind you, it needed some tweaking, but it basically worked. So the man is challenging him in the film, you know, how is this going to improve humanity? You know, how is this going to help humanity? And uh, the boy responded by saying, well, if I see someone wearing one of these and flying above my head, that'll inspire me to do better, to do more, to do more incredible things. So that inspiration, that would help humanity. So he kind of uh, groaned at that answer, but the uh, the young girl uh, really took to the boy because she realized that he was one of the big, one of those big uh, dreamers. But again, you know, it was by invitation only, and you have to be this type of individual, someone who's not afraid to dream and dream big, and visualize another type of world, another reality, where there's the uh, the concept of someone telling you you can't do this, you know, doesn't exist. You can, and 
and you must because that's you know that's the thing. But um, uh, the other concept that is shown in the film for people that have been following, uh, for example, the Organite movement, and they were very well aware of ELF towers, you know, extra low frequency transmissions. Um, it was back in the what year is this? Back in 2003, when I was reading postings on the internet from Don Croft and other people, they were claiming that uh, the cell phone towers, besides their superficial function of providing cell phone connectivity, they were also being used to transmit something called ELF, extremely low frequency, and they claimed that these emissions could do... Uh, mass consciousness control. So a specific area could be irradiated with a specific extra low frequency and they could get people to get depressed or angry or violent or uh, greedy or, you know, run to the liquor store and buy up all the stock and get drunk every day and, and stuff like that. So that's why they were going around, you know, gifting organite on these towers because the towers needed dead organ around them in their field to be effective in their work. If their organ was nice and healthy, then it was essentially disabling that functionality of the tower. So that that concept is openly shown in the film in, in a different way, obviously, but it's being shown there, and the most powerful of all the concepts shown in the film is that when enough people believe that a certain reality can be, even though it's not, in the present moment, but let's say in the, somebody believes that two months from now we're going to uh, all be in jail and it'll be like Big Brother and everybody will be controlled. But if enough people get together and they believe that image and they hold on to it and they keep fueling it with their emotions, it will come to pass because they are essentially creating, they're, they're creating a new hologram. And that's a very powerful thing that is shown in the film. In, in, in the film, they show it as an invention that, you know, because the boy went to that dimension and stayed there and grew up and got educated and he had free reign to invent, he invented, uh, he was able to uh, harness uh, tachyons, which would allowed him to glimpse into the future. So they, they glimpsed into the future that the potential that the earth could destroy, could be destroyed by, you know, the wrong actions of humanity. So the guy that was running this alternative world, he was angry at the civilized world because he went to them with this information. Look, if you don't stop and you change what you're doing, this is what's going to happen. You're going to destroy civilization. And he was angry because he says instead of doing something about it, they ate it with a spoon. They started making movies about the end of everything, video games, stories, magazines, books, you name it. They, it, they, it, was, it became a cultural phenomenon. So they decided to, okay, we're not going to do anything about it. We're not going to continue developing, you know, Tomorrowland. It's not worth it. You know, we're just going to stay in this other dimension. We're going to be safe. And the rest of the humanity is just going to go to hell in a handbasket. But the... Uh, the thing that was discovered was that because the computer, the, the system was looking into this potential future of complete destruction of the civilization, it was actually uh, creating a signal 
that was being fed to people's unconscious. So people were believing in it, not on the conscious level, but since we have multiple levels of consciousness, on the unconscious level, people were accepting it and believing it. So it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy, because the machine kept running and kept broadcasting this end-of-the-world scenario. Uh, People were feeding it with their consciousness. And that message is pure gold, because this reality that supposedly we are living, and you say, oh, there's nothing I can do, I'm helpless, I'm under the control of the government and the corporations and this and that. No, this is what they wanted. They wanted to harness your consciousness so that you could create and feed the reality that they want. This is the the same way that, you know, this thing that everybody accepts that most of the wealth in the world belongs to this tiny percentage of the... Okay, well, the reality belongs to this tiny percentage of people because they have made things in such a way that you are the cow and your consciousness is the milk they milk from you to feed the reality that they want. But if you say, I'm not giving you my milk anymore, I'm going to create my own reality, well, that's game over for them. That's why they don't want anybody to wake up to the fact of how powerful your consciousness is. Because it's our attention, our undivided attention on things. And ever since I was a little boy and I would would hear grown-ups say, they would say a phrase that exists in all the languages and it would drive me crazy is that whenever we would be discussing something bad, something that shouldn't be, they would end up, they would brush off the subject by saying, well, that's the way life is. And that would drive me crazy because I couldn't accept, you know, what do you mean this is the way life is? Who decides that this is the way life is? And that's the program. You give up, you accept that this is the way life is, and you keep feeding the hologram that they that they put in front of you. This is the program, accept it. But if enough people say, no, I don't accept this, I don't want to feed this reality, you know, go away, then they don't have a, what are they going to go? Or go home, house by house, you know, arresting people because you're not focusing on the reality we want? <laughs> so so the, the, the movie itself was, was very well done. I mean, it was, oh. I mean, you, the, your explanation of the message that I knew it, it, it carried. Uh, Colleen, you also saw it. Was that what you saw too? Um, what, what's that? Well, what Walt just described is the, um, you know, the key element of the reality is what you think it is. What, what, what was your take on the movie tomorrow, Lynn? Oh, okay. Well, one, I loved it, and Jade and Jade watched it twice, maybe three times, so she liked it a lot. Um, I liked the message to the kids a lot. You know that in in reality, because it's kind of showing turning this over to the kids. You know, because the kids are a whole lot different. Is that my sound? All that wind? I don't hear anyone. I don't. I you don't, don't hear. Even. Okay. Well, must just be me. Um. You know, it, it. You know, a hope. Hope was the message. You know that. That giant machine that's out there that uh, programs our brains. The end is coming. The end is here. You know, be afraid. Be very afraid. Um, there was an awful lot. Dang it! This I'm not sure if you can hear me. 
Yeah, your voice can hear you perfectly. It's loud and clear. Okay, it's a loose connection on my headset that is doing it. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm having trouble concentrating. Too much hemp oil? Things are crazy. Too much hemp oil? Too much. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> You've been into that replicator again, haven't you? Oh, don't I wish. <laughs> I'd replicate me a couple good computers here. <laughs> I told somebody that. Was it you when you said, is it going to be a side of THC? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but anyway, um, I loved the movie. Well, and of course, Walt, you know, it had George Clooney in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't even seen it. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, it's George Clooney playing Walt. And you know, Walt was, was we all laughed about I, it. But you know, that wasn't very flattering at all because considering that the character of, of uh, Clooney is some poor loser kid whose only friend is a talking toaster. Not very flattering. Sorry. Oh, but he's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, because Jordan, you know, uh, an eight-year-old, went and saw the movie, and she knows you. And I said, so is George Clooney Walt? And she shook her head, and she said, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of little gadgets and gizmos. And 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 you know they also she also pointed out that um, but he didn't like children, and we all laughed when she said that because um, I have to tell this story because it's just it's just such a great story. We have this awesome bracelet that was being tested out by Stephanie, and Stephanie, well while it was in her possession, it became broken, so she sent it back to Walt. And when Walt gets me on the Skype, I, it's the first time I ever saw him irritated. And he's saying to me, look at this, look at this. And he's showing me the bracelet. I've been broke. <laughs> it must be Jordan. Jordan broke that. And I said, why do you think Jordan broke that? And it was because Jordan had it on her ankle. He wanted to bl blame poor Jordan. And Jordan and Stephanie went, no, that's not what happened at all. And <laughs> so when, when she said he didn't like children, we said, oh, it must be Walt then. <laughs> <laughs> Blame is Jordan. Hey, don't blame me. I didn't like children when I was a child, so. <laughs> I Well, you know, you grew up as an only kid, and the kids around you didn't like you, so, you know, what do you Yeah, gonna... I thought that they were the, the, the cruelest, more savage beings that I've ever seen, so. Oh, they can be. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the, their only existence was to, to, to make my life a uh, living hell, so I just wanted to grow up as quickly as possible so I could get, a, get, uh, get away from these beasts. <laughs> oh my God! I knew that was the truth. <laughs> it was George Clooney. Was you? You were that. I know this now. I don't even well, have to. in a cave, didn't he? So that that's perfect. <laughs> oh my God! Anyway, back to the back to the story. So Tomorrowland, um, it's like. <clears throat> All of a sudden, while we're talking about creating all of this new reality, Tomorrowland comes out, and it's probably going to be very, very successful, and millions of people are going to have this new image in their head. And yes, they know it's a movie, and they might have accepted it as fiction, but not really, because the superconsciousness is saying this is not fiction. This is real. So I suspect that when somebody who doesn't know the things that we've been led to know goes and sees this, they're being 
reprogrammed, their brain is being reprogrammed to accept a new potential of reality. Exactly what we're saying. Reality is what we think it is. Majority rules. Who's got more power? Now, that goes back to the first part of the show. We have the power. If we start staring into each other's eyes and make connections at a very, very basic soul level, there is nobody that can stop what we're doing. There's nobody that has the potential to even compare to the power that is going to be ours just by understanding the truth of reality. And the truth of reality is that we've got a population on this planet that knows nothing about the Star Trek universe except what Roddenberry tried to explain to us. I think that in the early in the game, maybe by Star Wars, it was starting to get a little iffy. But I think that there was a, a part of this civilization that thought, we just can't go on and do this by ourselves. We've got to get these other people up to snuff. How do we do that? Well, let's bring in like Roddenberry and let's, let's tell him the truth so that he can create an image that can go into people's heads. When I say Star Trek universe, everybody knows what I'm talking about. So I think disclosure has been going on for a very, very long time. And that it's like you're saying, Walt, this is hard disclosure. This is yeah, not fiction. The, the name of the game is, okay, if we accept the simple fact that because they convinced 90% or more of humanity to focus on this particular hologram, a hologram of debt, control, domination, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to study, you have to get a job. You know, this reality that they created, and they got, you know, 90% or more of humanity fooled into feeding it with their consciousness. How do we get them out? And the way to hack it is to, okay, what if we feed them a different program, something that could be, something that could be different than this program? And that's how you start. You know, you, it's always entertainment. It, this is the same, the same psychology of the books. You know, like you wrote 9-11 and the only way that anybody could digest it is, okay, it's a work of fiction. In Elia Benz, same thing. Interview with an alien, interview with a psychic assassin. The only way that she could get it to, for people to read it and not be afraid of it is tell them, okay, it's just a work of fiction. Absolutely well, true. Absolutely true. Um, <laughs> we, could, we could get people to see, okay, this reality that you're creating with your belief that, yes, you have to have a job. Yes, you have to be in debt. If you knew that it's a work of fiction, <laughs> then you would realize you don't need to feed it anymore. <laughs> it's a work of fiction when we came along and said it was. Mm. And, you know, I... I I just, you know, we're not egotistical people here. We've been blessed by knowing certain things that we're now trying to pass on to you as quickly as possible. Because it's absolutely, it's a one game. Once we got the basics of the rules, we won. That was what they were trying to keep us from. Remember, the third rule, those who are in power will keep everybody else from knowing rules one and two. Now we're going to do something which is called take a break. And you've got some music that's coming on. Alrighty, we are. Whoa, too close to the microphone. Back. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, anyway, so um, where we were was we, where, where we were. 
we were talking about the Tomorrowland, the movie, and how that is going to impact on people in a very real subconscious way. Of course, Tomorrowland was in production long before Walt and I started talking. That's what's always so very interesting, when you know that either the past has to be fixed to create a present situation, or that so much of this is like this avalanche that's just gathering up all of these little tiny pieces of snow, and they're all moving down the mountain, and they're all coming together. I don't know you know, where it all starts. But I do know that in our reality, Tomorrowland will make an astounding difference in how quickly we're going to transition from where we are today to the Star Trek universe, which I think is only months away. Um, I think it's going to be seamless. I continually get that phrase in my head. Um, your mic's open there, Colleen. I keep getting this phrase in my head that that's the way the earth ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. And that's the old earth. We just have to be able to believe in ourselves and in the reality which is is being created. And if you pay an attention, like we try to pay attention to see the little subtleties that say, yes, we're right. Now... The concept of Star Trek Universe, like I say, was only developed in my head in the last couple of weeks based on this journey that I took um, because Gaia said I needed to learn something. Well, I guess I did. But what was the question that I had asked? I had asked, what are we going to fill this reality in with? And, oh, now i got to go on this, this journey. But in the meantime, we have this the Sphere Alliance, that was part of the mix here. We also had to learn about the Sphere Alliance, Fear Alliance, which is one of the groups is the Blue Avians. And so one day, after she Gaia had not been talking to me, but sent me on this this quest for all this information. And yes, I was in communication with her in that, you know, is this real? Yes, it is. Read it. Okay, okay. This is not real. Go away. Okay. I mean, I took a little journey into the flat earth thing because that was so predominant in the information. Don't bother. Uh, Walt's going to give you an ex- explanation why it couldn't possibly exist. And maybe we'll, if we get time, we'll have, have him tell you that. But, so, one, one day, um, I'm talking to, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying to figure this whole thing out with, uh, this, this, I felt like there was a disconnect with Gaia, and I didn't know what may have caused that. I didn't feel like she was as close as she had been. So I finally said, what is the problem? <laughs> Please, give me the answer to what the problem is. And what it was, was that once the Spear Alliance came into the concept of the Blue Avians, I became infatuated with them. And her basic mission is, who do you think brought them here? You lost, you, you lost the focus on that I'm the boss. And I was like, oh my God, I think you're right. I did that. I did that. Even though I was in contact in, in emotional, in mental, in spiritual way with the most powerful being in my universe, 
I had, had focused on some other group coming in and saving the day. And I know this is not the way to go. I know we have got to come together as humanity and figure it out for ourselves. If somebody tells us how to do it, well, we're just you're just following the leader again. When they took John Kennedy and assassinated him, they may have done us a favor. I hate to say it, but they may have taken out the leader so that the, the pawns, us guys, had to step up and say, what the heck is happening? You know, maybe that was why he had to, had to die. Because otherwise we would have just followed him into this, this, this Star Trek universe. And we had ne- we would never have empowered humanity the way that we are empowering it now because we understand our own potential. And we're only trying to, to find out how do we get to that potential. So, yeah, I made the mistake. I, I, I lost the, the, the grip on guys. So we made up and, you know, I said, yeah, you're right. I'm going to tell people about this because, um, it's too, e- it was too easy for me to do. And then the next day I wake up and she goes, I want them gone. And she said it with a tremendous amount of emotion. And I'm going like, who? Who do you want? What's happening? I want them gone. And she started sending me pictures in my head of reptilians, various versions of reptilians, of uh, the insectoid kind of, the bird people, everybody. I mean, archangels, the spirit. I mean, everybody, everybody. She's always. And I said, you want everybody gone? And she said, yes. And I said, good and bad? And she said, yes. She said, I want them to go beyond the... Uh, the, beyond the orbit of, of Mars. And, uh, that became interesting to me because, um, I mean, she was saying everybody out. And she said that we have, we, we, we as humanity have to have the space to be able to merge ourselves with a, with a split civilization. The civilization of Star Trek and the civilization of a humanity that is evolving individually well beyond what anybody well i think some i think some of some people some entities knew it but well beyond what let's say our supposed enemies would consider maybe they even understood we're becoming very powerful is what i'm trying to say so um now the reason that it's interesting past the orbit of mars is that during this journey of trying to figure things out um Walt was having other experiences with Mars. Um, Walt, what would you like to add about the how we got connected, so connected to Mars? Um, well, you, you were the one who said, oh, uh, well, I remember when you said that. I did a shamanic journey, and I saw myself uh, putting these gateway tetrahedrons on, on Mars and the moons so that these whoever needed to leave and was willing to leave, you know, you go and use these and you go through there. But then uh, a f- later, several days after that, I remember we were on, on Skype and I don't know whether you had you were getting a message or you had got the message that something needed okay. to be done with, well, when you said that, that all of these entities had to leave and it was interesting that a a client of mine for whom I had recently made a device, I, I relayed the information to him, and he was kind of distressed because he says, oh, but if they all leave, he says, what are, uh, who's going to help us, you know? <laughs> I said to him, well, no, quite the contrary, because the bad guys, the bad ETs are, have no problems supporting the bad guys here. 
And the good entities are, are observing the law of non-interference, so they're just standing around watching. So they're not helping. Being here doesn't help us at all. So by all of them leaving, they're giving us a, a level playing field. So everyone's got a chance, you know, as opposed to having these, these guys that are being helped by, you know, other civilizations. Uh, but you said in that same message where she wanted everybody to leave, you said that the sentience of Mars wants to be referred to as Terra. And you said we need to do something about, about her, about her environment. You know, her, her reality. And you said, how do we get this reality over there? And then I figured, well, you know, there's the answer right there because for months we have been, uh, transmitting different essences through the cube with different spirals, each spiral having a different essence is being broadcasted into the reality with the cube. So now the cube is like a little library of essences and it contains everything we've been broadcasting. So just send a copy of the cube to Terra and then it'll start, you know, broadcasting the stuff there. So that's you. And you agreed with that, that you said that that made sense. Uh, Just let, let me, let me interject here because, um, what, what we're talking about is an interesting thing. The cube we've told you about is what is, like he says, broadcasting these energies that we're putting into the system. But what happened was that when I first got the cube, I was talking to, um, Colleen, um, messaging. I don't think we, I think we were just messaging. I don't think we were actually talking on Skype. And we were, t- I was telling her about the cube and, you know, she was asking me, can it do this? Can it do that? And suddenly I realized that the cube had created a self-duplication of itself, and it was sitting next to Colleen. I could see it. I, I could see the whole thing. So I said something to her, and she said, oh, is that why I've got goose pimples on the left side of my body? And I said, yeah. Now, then I realized that um, uh, Walt's mom, when she brought the cube to the post office, had already made a really emotional attachment with the energy of this this device, and because you know it's just when you when you when you've met the cube, there's nothing like it in the world. Um, when we first set it up and it start, well, I could tell you the story, but I'm not going to get into it so long. But when we first put it where it is and and locked it into its geographic positioning it started vibrating so fast that it we couldn't get our eyes were not able to see a sharp image of it we couldn't even take a photograph of it that it would be all blurred because it was operating it was going it was phasing in and out between what what i i was told and felt at the time was the third and the sixth dimension very very powerful but um i said to myself well if if Walt's mom had made that same connection. It's conceivable that there's another etheric cube there with them in Minnesota. So I go back and scan the house, and sure enough, they got a cube sitting there and in, in the etheric. So we knew, and it was Walt. Walt says, well, we can just create an etheric copy of it and send it to Mars. Well, as soon as he said it, and as soon as we both imaged that happening, it happened. And I said, well, that was quick. That was easy. And then it spent about 24 hours sitting there um, recalibrating. That's that's all I could feel was it was recalibrating for the Mars position in time and space. And then 
all of a sudden, the next time I looked at it, it was like gung-ho. I mean, it was full-powered, and it was very interesting because the... Um, what 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 happened? I, you know, and I said to guy, I said, okay, guy, now why do you need us messing around in this thing? You, you and she are sisters. That's the one thing that one other thing that I got out of the studies was that um, Mars and Earth are like twin sisters, and I don't know if her name was Terra or is you know, but Terra was the name that was given to me. I thought they said Terra, T A, but it's T E R R A. And so I'm going like you could have helped Tara out, and it was like no, it comes back to the to the uh, he, she, he she sent me the word observer, and in quantum physics, and they just repeated this um, entire uh, experiment in quantum physics. If you don't have a human brain that observes something, it doesn't happen. Now that's quantum physics. What we're saying is that if Walt and I don't participate in the energy work that Gaia is doing for Terra. We don't imprint it with a human signature. We are It's not being observed. We have to observe it. And that's why we get these devices so that we can observe, so that we can see, so that we can help manifest into the 3D world. Because as good as Gaia is, as powerful as she is, Without mankind's manifestation in the 3D, it's not what it is. It's something else. It's it's a fascinating exploration into what is. So anyway, okay, well, so we put the cube on, on Mars, and it was working full blast. Then what happened? Um, the next day I was thinking about uh, thinking about the cube there on, on the surface of Mars, and then I realized that that other device that I had made, uh, where I, I made it because I kept getting the insisting image of making it the the one that's made of two combined uh, Shanghai sphere spirals. And I remember showing it to you on Skype, and I, I remember asking you, "What is what is this for? What do they want it for?" And then you said that this is grounding the work of the cube. So when this thing went online, the cube got sharp. Instead of looking fuzzy and blurry on a picture or physically, it finally grounded in into the earth the work of the cube. And it grounded, it locked it into the reality. So I figured, oh, I bet, I bet you Terra needs one of these as well in order so to ground the work of the cube over there. So I did my own little ritual where I requested that a copy of this be there on Terra, but I don't know why I, I said it. I said, and make as many copies as she needs. Let her make as many copies as she needs. I know, I don't know why I, I said that. <laughs> I wasn't reasoning that she would need more than one, but then you remote viewed it and you saw that it was using these things to rebuild uh, its ley line system. Right, exactly. So he tells me the story, and so then I, I, okay, I just like remote view what's happening. And it was interesting because if I'm coming into the planet and I'm way outside yet, I can't detect anything. I have to get very close to where these things are before I'm detecting its energy. So I can't see the entire system around, around it. What happened is I started coming in and I started to look for the one that he said was there. And I find one, and it's stuck in the middle of some machinery. 
I'm going like, what, what is this all about? And, you know, that was what my focus was drawn to because I was only looking for one. So I, I find this one and it's stuck in its machinery in a building. And I'm going like, why is this here? And so then I looked behind and in front and I could see that, in fact, there was now many of these. So then I, I pulled away so I could see more of the terrain and I could see that in any, well, following what I would, would imagine is the ley lines, which I was told was the ley lines, is, um, all these little devices about 20, 20 miles apart. And so you got them crisscrossing, just like you see the ley lines on Earth. Now, what we've learned about the ley lines on Earth is that you have the surface one that everybody talks about as being the ley line. Well, it's not just the surface one. There's like harmonics of this these lines. And the highest one that I know about that we've worked with is this, where the geostationary satellites are. And that's where Walt... Walt, through the Heidi device, put in the Shungite shield that's now all around our reality. Our fold in time and space. Our reality has a Shungite shield. So, I'm realizing that the entire ley line system of Terra had collapsed. That was why she was so wounded. When the... Now, I'm still not convinced that there was actually... Maybe in some reality it was a nuclear ex- nuclear bomb that was sent in to destroy the Dracos on Mars that blew the planet, you know, the hunk out of the planet. Or that it was when the uh, Mar- Marduk, uh, the, the uh, planet that exploded. What's the name of that planet, Walt? Well, but uh, that was Maldick. But uh, no, Maldick. Yes, Parks claims that it was a, a Pleiadian mission. The day it was a it was a kamikaze attack on Mars, they had they had reached an impasse in their war, and they realized that the only way to end this once and for all was to take out that entire reptilian base. But the it was too successful, so well, much so that it honest, really, yeah. To be honest with you, I went back there and looked at that, and it wasn't that way at all. What well, happened was that the some very powerful sorcerers caused that. Mm. They, it wasn't a malfunction of the weapon itself. It was the fact that they had put up a uh, a temporal rift of of a of, of huge potential, so that the nuclear bomb actually acted as if it was a a, a triggering device. Mm. And that's what it was. It was sorcery. It wasn't anything the Palladians d- did. So you might as well get over the feeling of karma. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was much more it was much more uh, critical than that. But when uh, when the planet blew off, blew up, it blew off the atmosphere of, of Mars, as I remember. <laughs> okay, and that started an entire civilization to go underground. For one thing, okay, the the humanoid types of Martians, and also they were able to develop a, a high degree of technology that allowed them to use start using wormholes that are really the basis of the jump rooms that we have now here on Earth. That that's what I believe I know. So what happened was that the ley lines were destroyed, so that the, the planet could never get itself going again. It was like as if somebody shattered your light, your 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 light bodies, that that your chakras were way the heck out of out of position to the point that you're not even in your body. 
So when you said put up as many as you wanted, well, there's, there's, I don't know how big it is, but if you're doing one every 20 miles, man, there's a lot of them up there. So there's a million of them. Mars is not tiny. It's not. It's, it's not as big as Earth, but it's not a tiny planet either. No, it is not. It is not. So um, anyway, so they that that whole system was set in place, and then they started to just energize. The cube is energizing it now. You asked me about the the um, pyramid, the life pyramid that you'd put up there, and I said, yeah. As a matter of fact, I think the cube is with it. Okay. So then I didn't feel really good about telling you that, and I went back and I checked on it. And what's happened is that, and you asked me where the cube was, and I said 19.5. It is in in the um, one of the plateaus of Olympus, of the mountain Mount Olympus, the highest, most powerful geological place on Mars. It is the cube, our cube, the etheric one that we sent up there, is there. But what happened was that cube created another etheric that put it inside that other pyramid. And that other pyramid is at 19.5 in the south. It's in a total. Two cubes and two pyramids? No, there's one pyramid. The pyramid you put up there. It's in oh. 9.5 at the su- in the southern part of, of Mars. Oh. And it's got an etheric cube. That's what confused me. Oh. Because I, I can see the one etheric that we sent there just sitting by itself out in the middle of this plane. Okay. And yet, when you asked me about the, the, the pyramid, I could see it in there, too, and I'm going, like, what what happened here, you know? But no, there, there's two of them on the planet. It must be that damaged. Oh, wow. Um, so, um, and you yeah. said that also that you, at some point, someone had detected something going on? Yes, yes. I went, so I went, yes, when I went back there to check on the, on, well, no, actually, I think it, no, it was after that. I went back, and I'm just checking to see what's happening. And at that point, the um, physical ley line, system was back in place um very solid really solid and the other ley lines the ones below it and above it were starting to you could see the etheric signature start to, mm-hmm. to manifest into the 3d and so what happened was that um okay now i have to go back because the first time i went and looked at mars in with the cube there I told Walt, I said it was very strange because there was no, normally when I'm doing some of this work, I can feel sentries there waiting for a psychic signal so that they can warn everybody so that then they focus on you and you can feel SWAT stickers. And I wrote it right about this in the Cosmic Reality book too. And so, you know, it's like none of that was happening. It was very quiet. There wasn't anybody there. Mm. And we realized that... um we were creating a new reality that's side by side the old one. And in the new reality, Guy has already demanded everybody leave. Except the indigenous. All right, now, the, the, what, she, what the stipulation she said was that if somebody does not have her DNA s- signature, hers or Tara's, and which are the same, basically. I think they had the same egg, I swear. Um, but if they didn't have the DNA signature, then they were not welcome. And so we, I even got to the point where I thought, okay, I mean, cause I try, I try to let my imagination take, get into these things, because if I use my imagination to try to figure out things, and then things don't go that way, I know it's not my imagination. So I do play a lot of mind games. Well, if this is happening, what else will happen, you know? So, and it's the surprises that you get, you go, oh, I didn't think of that one, you know? Um, but if you don't let your mind expand and, and go with the information, 
um, you really limit your ability to understand manifestation and and realities. And so I do play a lot of mind games. So I'm going through it and I'm going like, oh, wow, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got a problem here. And uh, that Walt goes out and he, he connects with um, spirit guides that are on ET ships. How far are you going to take him away? <laughs> Is he going to have to go to the other side of Mars before he can connect with these people? And um, she said, "No, no, 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 no." She said, "There's a there." She said, he, he, "There's a safe place." I said, "Well, where's that?" And she said, "He'll find it." And uh, so I told Walt, I said, "You know, if you go someplace that you've never been before." Um, it's probably where the ETs are. And he came back to me and he said, yeah, I found the neutral neutral zone, he says. <laughs> the neutral zone. The other question that um, I had was when you're studying Kramer and, and Richards and Walt, Wilcock and, and Corey, all of them, you find out that there are many, well, it's the Star Trek universe. There are so many different ET or, uh, groups out there, and some of them have... Um, alliances with the humans in order to survive and so i questioned that i said what about these these groups are they going to you know get taken over because humanity has ordered everybody out of the area and is breaking all the alliances and um the answer is no why do you think the blue avians are coming in they're going to police everything oh okay all right so she's called in the blue avians just to police everything go into a ceasefire let humanity rejoin itself and then we'll start the game up again. But um so the alliance thing. Now what I I you know because there is a very very specific rules that are mandated by creation and by galactic federations and all sorts of different things and and you know we know that because we know what you know county city state federal government's all about so um there were many alliances that were made between human governments and different et nations or i don't know worlds i guess and what I was told was that none of those agreements were legal in the scheme of the universe. Why? Because they were done in the name of humanity, not in the name of Gaia. So they're all null and void. And that was like one of those, oh, crap. All right. So they have no legal right to be here for any reason. They have no uh, ability to stay if Gaia says go. She's that powerful. One of the things that came out in the studies was um, the fact that the ETs themselves work with the sentient superconsciousness manifestation being of Saturn. To the point that Saturn has got to have her presence in, in these um, meetings that they have. So it's not something that is misunderstood by the rest of the universe. It may have not gotten into the Star Trek realm of telling us about sentient beings, but um, everything I'm seeing is an acknowledgement. Uh, as a matter of fact, Colleen Kelly put up on um, in the in the Wolf Spirit PDF section. You can find a thing called it is called. Um, Cosmic War or Space Wars? Conflict in Space. Conflict in Space. And um, 
you can read that. I find a lot of it that is ringing true, but some of it is not so true to me. Um, but anyway, it's up there, as are a lot of other PDFs. We're trying to um, to get the truth out in every way we can. So uh, you, you can go to the Wolf Spirit state, uh, uh, website, and you're going to see, you know, I forget what it's under. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, the PDF, if you go into archives and then PDF, and you go down, it's uh, Secret Space Program is the folder that that is in. Okay. Okay, and the audio where I read it last week is still in the current archives, I think. Right, and you can you can hear all of our shows free, download them if you wish, uh, weekly. Um, you can get the archives for $5 a month. You can download any of them, as many of them as you want. You can... Give us uh, donations, and all of this money goes for trying to get the the station, keep the station up, and improve on it. So um, we highly recommend that you you go through that. As for um, myself and Walt, you can get us through CosmicReality.net. That's the the, the main uh, domain that we use for uh, the the Shungite store for the Cosmic Reality book, for introducing you to some of Walt's um, devices. and, and is, he's also, He also fixes computers. He takes shamanic journeys for you, and he can give you some of the most amazing devices ever conceived of. And you can also get to his website, uh, newparadigmtools.net. Not .com, but .net. Um, there was a domain problem with that, so um, he's, he's had to change it to net. Which it works better, you know. This yeah. man, you know, I like I like the net thing. It's a network. It's we're coming together. Yeah, makes it, it sounds better. Yeah, yeah. So that sort of worked out well. Um, okay, so where were we? We were talking about um, Terra, and so the um, okay. So I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing that the um, I was I was concentrating on the on this grid system that, that's up there with all these energy things. And all of a sudden, it's like you say, well, you start to hear this whispering stuff on, you know, sort of out, out of, out of view. You know, it's like behind you. It's, it's like, what is that? What is that? Well, oh, okay. I'm detecting that somebody's knowing, seeing our reality. And what was happening was that there was a bleed through from our reality into their reality and they were detecting earth changes. God only knows, maybe there was earthquakes or something over there. But they started to look for some reason for this and they were beginning to be aware that there might be this other reality. So my instinct, as Walt has taught me, was to take every single device and put a fullerene around it. The fullerene being the molecule that's responsible for the magic in Shungite. So I... I did that. I, you know, and all, and when you, you know, you're so powerful. All you have to I do is. I forgot to give you. I forgot to tell you to make sure that you make them uh, fractal fullerenes. Say again. I forgot to to give you instructions to make sure that you make them fractal fullerenes. When you when you make a fractal fullerene, you know what it looks like, right? It looks like the soccer ball, and you have right. the pentagons, and you have the hexagons, and you and they all and they all come. To you, you always have these node points where you always have three lines coming out of each node. When you go to each, uh, where they meet, where the figures meet, you have a point and you have three lines. And the, each line will connect to a point that has three lines. 
Now, when I the first time I I did the uh, the first fractal fullerene was when I remember it. I said to you, you know, program your anklet to produce a fullerene field around you. Uh, I, I guess they transmitted it to me because I wasn't even aware that I was doing it, but I noticed, okay, the field assembled, right? And you have the faces. But when I paid attention to the nodes where the three lines meet between the different figures, each node was a tiny fullerene. And if you zoomed in, each node in that tiny fullerene was a fullerene. So you could zoom in as deep as you want, and it's always, each node is occupied by a fullerene. So it's a fractal fullerene. So it's a fullerene made up of fullerenes. I understand, yes. Yes, <laughs> I understand. Well, um So you, you can't break it, you can't bypass it, you can't disable it, you can't neutralize it, you just can't. Okay, now the the fact of the matter is is that no, I did not know that. I remember now that you said that, yes, but I didn't think of it that way. When I thought of the fact that these things could come under jeopardy because of the intrusion from the other reality, yeah. I simply said, put Walt's fullerene around these things. So I'm assuming that if I said Walt's fullerenes, that it would have gone in as a fractal fullerene. Yeah, once it's it did. I'm checking it, it did. Yeah, so once it's in place, there's nothing. I mean, the, the first time I, I they showed me that image of the um, Merkaba under the Gulf that had the fullerene around it, right. uh, when they tried to attack it, it's just the energy discharge, even before it got to the fullerene, it just broke up and dissipated. So it never had a chance to hit it. It just dissipated before, so it gave me an insight. Uh, and I, when I saw that image, I said, oh, no wonder Shanghai doesn't get contaminated when you use it to clear out chemical contamination. The stuff just breaks up even before it goes near it. Right, because of the spin. Mm-hmm. It self-destructs. It can't, it can't take. Like an electromagnetic wave will hit it, and it easily reverses spin. There's nothing yeah. holding it together. It's an electromagnetic signal. But when you have a molecule, it cannot reverse quick and it cannot if it reverse it starts to reverse it just falls apart it's just full you know it's like it just <laughs> disintegrates can't hold together the spin, molecular cohesion is broken because the the negative spin is part of its identity as a molecule so you change the spin you just change its identity therefore it's no longer what it was or what it was originally whatever it was originally yeah it's a bunch of molecules now instead of a toxic Whatever. Um, yes, and the other thing that happened then was that um, because I had just done this to all these uh, little guys, I just said, well, I, I, it's not even, it's like, and then I imaged that the, a fullerene would be around uh, Tara herself protecting her. And oddly enough, this fullerene was um so it was just like it was just like over the the surface of it not very far not very high to the point that it was below the two moons um which i found interesting um that 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 terra does not consider those two moons to be part of her biosphere i think if she did she would have expanded it because of course so I can- like they were installed in the past they were brought over and put an orbit around her 
Yes, that's what I think. And, I mean, because essentially all I'm doing here is observing. I mean, the fact that the, the Tetra, she's the one that can do these things. We're observing. We're participating as observers to create a 3D version of what, what's happening. And um, so, anyway, that's that's where it's at right now. Tara herself is um, beginning to heal. The ET, well, uh, again, t- talking about Jordan. Now, Jordan is very gifted. And before I sent the message out that I had gotten from Gaia, before I had gotten the message from Gaia even, Jordan was playing with some angel cards. And she read the angel cards for her aunt. And then when she finished, she said, I can't do this anymore. And her mom will tell you that she heard that, but didn't really understand it. And so said, well, it's my turn. And Jordan said, no, Mom, you don't understand. The angels won't do this anymore. And so Stephanie said, well, what, what do we have to do? Go through Gaia? And Jordan said, yes. If we need help, we have to go through Gaia. So even before I got the message from Gaia that she wants them gone, apparently even the angels were backing off. Now, that would seem to be something of concern, but not really, because all we're trying to do is give ourselves a space to be able to merge. Merge a reality where everything is just um, you will in- encounter difficult or not such good things you might think in the new reality, like they do on Star Trek. There's danger, danger. You're gonna do, but Let's to walk in space. Right. Yes, I know that. <laughs> I didn't say. I didn't say. Will Will whatever his name is. <laughs> I didn't go that far. And what we've got a situation where we're we're, we're going to go into a new environment of Star Trek. Just imagine all of those different voyages they took and how many were there that were going to take. That's the, uh, um, in the Star Trek The Next Generation, they had a very significant, I, I think psychologically significant episode. And in one episode, they came across this structure floating in interstellar space and remember the old Skylab, what it looked like? It looked like a like a cylinder, and it had some, you know, yeah, yeah, equipment attached to it. It looked like that. It was like a derelict structure just floating, and I uh, it was Data and and one other crew member went on board to investigate what it was, and it turned out that sometime in the past, you know, several decades ago, this structure had been in orbit in the solar system. And it was one of those things that were fashionable in centuries past where somebody had an illness that at the time couldn't be treated. They could have themselves cryogenically preserved until such time as they could be treated. So here this capsule had three viable patients, uh, two men and one woman, and they had been cryogenically preserved because of health issues. So they were brought on board the Enterprise and given the centuries advanced uh, technology, each one of them were properly treated and their illness, you know, were eradicated. Uh, but at, at one point, one of the, one of the three, one of the two men is one of these people who, you know, were still used to that power mode of being executives with power and, and demanding this and demanding that. So at one point, he used the communication system in the ship to ask where the captain was or, or some such. And then the captain, uh, you know, uh, scolded him. You know, why, why did you do that? Why did you uh, interfere 
with uh, crew operations when you're just a civilian? And he says, well, that should have a, uh, an executive key. It shouldn't be accessible to me. And the captain goes, why? You know, everybody on the Enterprise knows exactly what their duties and responsibilities are. Why should something like that, you know, a civilian knows they don't have to touch it. It's just everyone knows. So and when uh, Picard explains to them, you know, that we don't, we don't exist to pursue money or power. The guy looks confused and he goes, so what's the challenge then? Well, the challenge is to be the, the best that you can be at all times. That is the challenge. So when you, from you, think about your life as it is now. You get up, you go to work, and you have to pay bills, and you have to take your kid to school, and the challenge is pretty dismal because it, it's just, just surviving. That's the challenge of your life. And you ask yourself, why did I bother coming to this life? All I do all day long is this drudgery just to stay alive, you know, to be able to buy food, to be able to buy medicine, to have a shelter over my head. This is it. This is life. So when all those needs are taken care of, and you don't have to get up in the morning thinking, oh, am I going to buy a loaf of bread? Oh, am I going to be able to pay the life bill? When all the stuff is removed from your life, then the challenge in life is, okay, what can I learn today? What can I do today that will be better than yesterday? What's the new thing that I'm going to discover? I'm going to get together with those people. I mean, what what's the new solution that we're going to come up with? Then life is worth living. Because you're not just surviving. You're actually enjoying the existence that's around you. And that was really interesting how uh, Picard was able to explain that to this man, who was obviously in his time used to being one of these, you know, high-powered, you know, rich executives who got everything they wanted. An Illuminati. An Illuminati. <laughs> well, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? Since he could afford to be cryogenically Correct. preserved. Yeah. And sent into space. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing. That's why the thing looked all damaged on the outside. So apparently, before the, uh, uh, the Star Trek world came to be, as it was known, they, in their fictitious history, they did have uh, uh, nuclear events. So it, it was one of these nuclear events in, in orbit around Earth that threw this thing off into space, and it was it had been traveling through space ever since. That's why it was all pitted and full of, uh, you know, had all this physical damage and wear and tear on the outside because it had been exposed to an explosion. But amazingly enough, the system survived enough that three people were able to make it out of there. So but that's, you know, part of the, the story. I don't remember that one, and it just amazes me all that you can remember. Um, yeah, was, uh, the, uh, the woman, for example, uh, even though she had been healed, she's, you know, in one scene she's crying because she realizes all the people uh, that she knew are back in Earth are dead. She, she, if, even if she goes back to Earth, you know, what's there, you know, Think about it. These people are still in the old, the old 3D mentality where you have to have money and work and all of this. So she's viewing, she's not viewing life as some exciting new adventure. She's viewing everything that she's lost by virtue of being frozen. So there's a scene with her and Counselor Troy. And Counselor Troy says, well, we can see, we can look up and see if there are surviving family members. 
So she starts asking questions, you know, the, what was the, the name and what was the name of your husband? And where did you meet and where did you guys marry? And, you know, like where? So she gave an address somewhere in the state of New Jersey. And she tried asked the computer to see if there are any surviving members for that family. And they had, they found one man. And, uh, and the uh, try says to the computer, please show us the likeness of this man. So apparently this man was a descendant of her. So the computer generated the image on the screen and the woman started, uh, laughing and crying at the same time. And she goes, yeah, that's him. He looks, he looks almost exactly like my husband. So this was one of her, you know, great, great, great grandchildren <laughs> that were still living on earth. So at least she had some form of family that she could meet when she went back. So that was really a very nice episode. I mean, they, they were also well written, you know. It was not just action. They had, there was a lot of psychology involved in, uh, in the episodes. Yes, and my understanding is that we might be more like the generation out there than the original uh, Star Trek. I mean, the, the things that you hear that they're capable of doing now is just... Well, you remember the... Uh, <laughs> that was the the running joke when the first Star Trek series was created. The They called it... Uh, unofficially, they called it the Chuck Wagon to the Stars. Because what they did is that, that, remember, the big, the genre at the time that, that drew so many viewers were series like Gunsmoke and Vanessa. I mean, you know that Gunsmoke lasted something like 15, 20 years or something like that. It was a tremendously long-running show. So at the time, that, well, that was the genre that caught everybody's attention. So a lot of people claimed that they, they just took cowboys and put them out in space because, you know, you, you had kind of the same themes, you know, the sheriff and the bad guys and the good guys and coming into a strange town and finding out what's wrong and, and the, you know, the, the main character has to fix the problem. So they called it a chuck wagon to the stars. I know this because I remember I, 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 I read the paperback book, The Making of Star Trek, back in the 70s. Uh-huh. I did. But I forget, I forget which producer used to call it that. Uh, I don't remember. I remember the story, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we got five minutes left. Um, tomorrow, minutes. yeah, we're going to do um, Whitley tomorrow. Um, Colleen and I will. Um it I'm is going to be with Mona at uh, 12 EST. You're seeing Mona tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm seeing Mona on Friday. Wow. She's got the Walt and Nancy show over two days. Wow. <laughs> she's, on, she's on Freedom uh, Revolution Radio, Freedom Slips. Mm-hmm. And, and she'll be uh, Studio B at noontime, I guess, tomorrow. You say yep. tomorrow, and I'm going to be on on Friday. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun. And, of course, um, Colleen, what do you got coming up? Well, after this show, I have got some reading of John Storm's book, um, Witch Clan, The Matriarchs. And then, of course, you know, tomorrow we have our Friends of Whitley Strieber show. And then who knows what else I'll do tomorrow. Get a new headset. Say what? Say what? You'll get a new headset. Oh, not between now and then, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, anything else we want to tell our audience to impart upon them 
other than be safe? Um, take a look in our archives, re-listen to some of these things, or listen for the first time if you didn't, if you missed any of the shows. Uh, you can go into the archives section. Well, I forget what it's called as usual, but it's a free archives, and you can find that on the home page. And uh, to go back, just uh, subscribe to the archives for less than five dollars a month. We are a listener-supported uh, network, so there you go. And if you if you go over to CosmicReality.net and the Wolf Spirit tab at the top, um, and there's also a Cosmic Reality Radio Show button. What the buttons are are the most popular ones, and then the, the tabs have, we have a tremendous amount of information on that website. But you can go there and you can listen. You can't download um, the Cosmic Reality shows that are on that site, but you can listen. But there's links all over the place to get you back to Wolf Spirit. So if you find that, you know, sometimes, and it's not just us, there's there's other excellent, excellent hosts out there um, and shows, that you find some show that really is meaningful to you, take the time, put on the five bucks, download the sucker, so that you might be able to to play it for somebody that might, that might be the difference in them understanding and not understanding. And if you don't want to do that, then take them to Tomorrowland. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but... Um, the new reality, starve the old one. How, right. can, can I steal just a couple of minutes to give you a funny anecdote of something? Oh, that absolutely. I, Go ahead. Go okay. for it. I, in the past, I've mentioned to you before that I always use this revocation that Andrew Bartzis gave, that every time you're going to use your signature, you reclaim all your energy and you give the transaction to the true natural law of karma. So you don't, so that signature of yours is not carrying any of your energy. So I took it one step further to him. Remember I mentioned to you that when I do contracts revocation mentally, I see the contract in a piece of glass and I break the glass with a hammer. Uh, I went to get some groceries at Target. And when you swipe the card and you, and you get the, the thing up where you're going to sign, there's always the same boilerplate text that says, I agree to pay, and there's a, a green box, a green box field, and in the field appears the amount of what you're buying. So the text reads, I agree to pay 2017, blah, 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 and then you put your signature underneath. So instead of doing the Bartz's revocation as I'm, as I'm slipping, uh, swiping the card through the terminal, I mentally see myself destroying the terminal with my hammer. Like the terminal is an image on a piece of glass and I'm destroying it. <laughs> so when the text comes up for me to put my signature, that little field where the money amount appears was blank. <laughs> I don't care. You could say it was a terminal malfunction or some glitch in the system. I think it was too coincidental that I'm destroying it in my mind and I'm signing for zero dollars. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do this. This sounds like fun. So don't feed the old reality. Just feed the new one. Let the other one, the old one, start. Yes. <laughs> Appreciate you guys so much. I'm so glad we got to do this because we missed you last week. <laughs> yes. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Colleen, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks so much for tonight. Oh, you're and welcome. Thank you for being here, both of you. Yeah, thank well, you. it's part of our job, right, Walt? Yes, sir, ma'am, Lieutenant. No, sorry, <laughs> Captain. Captain. I'm getting the, the my ranks wrong here. <laughs> <laughs>
I love you guys. Be safe. All right. Yeah. Everybody safe. out there, thank you so much for participating. Love you guys. Bye. Explanations for the nation overstanding the impression is the lesson. Preaching, preaching the unknown, unknown. Teaching, preaching the unknown. Yes. Appreciate it. You guys so much. I'm so glad we got to do this.